This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's the day after a series of elections that will bring some major changes to the level of government that affects us all most directly. The question is how? Will it be easier to get things done with a 25-member city council in Toronto? And will Mayor John Tory, who easily won re-election, have the support he needs to get his agenda through? And how will he work with the Ford government at Queen's Park? That question is also top of mind when it comes to mayor-elect Patrick Brown in Brampton. The big story of the night was his political comeback less than a year after he was taken down as PC leader in a sexual misconduct scandal. We have an ACE political panel with us for the entire hour, and we want to hear from you. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Are you happy with the changes that were made last night? If not, why not? What do you think is going to happen? And we will also be talking to the newly re-elected Mayor John Tory just a bit later. Now, let me welcome Aleem Kanji, the Vice President of Government Relations with Sutherland Corporation, Melissa Lansman, VP of Public Affairs at Hill and Knowlton, and Kim Wright, also Vice President of Public Affairs at HK Strategies. Hi, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, thanks for having us. Okay, so uh, first of all, what was the big story? Let's start with uh, Kim on my left. Uh, appropriately, I guess. Uh, so the big stories of the night, obviously, Mayor Tory got reelected. He will have a working, workable council, depending on how he manages the council floor over the next uh, four years. That will be uh, there will be lots of changes on how that will be structured, how those personalities will play into all of this. But there were a lot of changes in municipalities across the province. We saw the mayor of Burlington be defeated. We saw a new mayor be elected in Oshawa. We have a new regional chair in Durham region after the passing of Roger Anderson earlier this year. Uh, those things will be big shifts in how municipalities work. And then, of course, the story everyone wants to talk about is the new mayor for Brampton, who's also not only Patrick Brown being the new mayor, uh, put some pretty big lines in the sand last night of what he expects from people. And uh, he will also be a big player in the big city mayor's caucus. Okay, well, he was saying Brampton needs to get his fair share. Now, I'm looking at Melissa, because you were working for Doug Ford. Now, much has been made about the relationship there that Doug Ford really did not want Patrick Brown to be mayor of Brampton, that there is animosity between the two. And I've always wondered, you know, how much of that was real. I mean, it it wasn't Doug Ford who ousted Patrick Brown. So uh, you're an insider, 
how much of that is real? Well, I'll start with saying, uh, look, I'm so glad that Patrick Brown realized his uh, lifelong ambition of becoming mayor of Brampton, and uh, and 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 I hope that he, uh, you know, he he settles some roots down in in Brampton, the, the people that just elected him. But in terms of working relationships in politics. Um, if you are a politician, uh, and frankly, I think I, I think Patrick wanted uh, uh, wanted the job that uh, Doug has now. Doug at one point wanted to be a mayor of a big city. I think it's in everybody's interest that a strong Ontario means strong municipalities, and that goes for Toronto and that goes for Brampton. Uh, you know, the premier is going to have to win a number of seats in Brampton come next election. Uh, so I do think they might get their fair share. Okay. I think that's how it works. Yes, but but. Is is there a, a real problem there between Doug Ford and Patrick? Brown? Well, I think it remains to be seen. I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, elections are elections, and governing is governing, and they're two very different things. So I think you'll probably see both men come to the table in the best interest of the citizens of, uh, of both Ontario and Brampton. Aleem, well, this Brampton conversation seems to be bleeding. So why don't we start with that, and then I'll get to I'll get to Toronto. And I'm sure our friends in the 905 are really happy. Uh, because uh, they don't uh, they don't get talked about a lot. So let's start with Brampton. Um, you know, uh, it was an interesting race to see uh, uh, Brampton uh, uh, going to Patrick Brown. And you know, I've said this before, and, and I'm going to go on the record of saying it again. Um, Peel is a region of 1.2 million people, uh, controlled by a very popular mayor, the majority of it, uh, in Bonnie Crombie out in Mississauga. Uh, she accounts for about 800,000 of, of that total. 77% uh, plurality she won. She That's wow. Yeah, she's getting up to Hazel numbers, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about how popular Hazel McCallion was, in fact, I think Bonnie is stepping out of the shadow of Hazel McCallion and, and defining herself with the Huron Ontario LRT that's going to be building a host, host of other projects. But let me get back to, to the point, and that is this. Is there the, the room for the municipal magic wand uh, to be waived uh, in, in Peel Region? It's something that Hazel McCallion has wanted to do for 30 years as she has ruled Mississauga as the former mayor, of course, before Bonnie Crombie. And that is to create a single-tier municipality because Mississauga is governed by Peel and by, by its, own, its own city. And you got to ask the question, with Patrick Brown winning, is this going to open the doors for that municipal magic wand to be waived um, by the Premier to, uh, to, to ensure that uh, that, that happens? And, and whether that's secession, um, there's a host of things that could happen, as we saw secession in Secession from Peel. That's right. And as we saw in, in uh, Toronto um, with the, the uh, threat of the notwithstanding clause uh, and the chaos that it caused in Toronto, I wonder if that's something that, that, that could happen. But, you know, I think in the short term, they're going to work together. They have to work together, the premier uh, and uh, the new mayor of Brampton. And uh, they're going to hold hands for a bit. We'll see how long that will last. And, and I think getting to Toronto, the one thing I want to get to is is talking about the magic number. I've talked about the magic wand in Brampton. I'm going to talk about the magic number in Toronto, and that is 13, because the mayor is just one vote on council in any municipality in this yes. country. And how John Tory can coerce a group of 13, and I've done some math here, we can talk about it, how is that going to happen? How is he going to govern? Where are these key positions like deputy mayor, TTC chair, the finance chief, um, the speaker? Where are those positions going to go? Because you only have 25 people to work with. So we're going to keep our eyes on that as well. But from a basic kind of right-left split 
let's call Tory a centrist, but closer to the right. Does does he have just based on that the the votes he needs, Kim? So he has a workable coalition. Uh, this is a bunch of personalities around Toronto City Hall that generally will vote with the mayor, except for when they disagree with him. There are also a number of power dynamics that are always at play at Toronto City Hall, and we saw this during the Rob Ford years, where councillors decided we're done dealing with the mayor's office and created their own power structure and their own coalitions. And those coalitions shift issue by issue. So the mayor is really going to have to uh, continue to be engaged with councillors, even his natural allies, make sure that they have the positions that they need, but also uh, that he understands what's happening in their community so he can support them. He actually has a number of councillors who he can work with on on various issues, including people like Councillor Paula Fletcher, who the mayor worked quite closely with around the film studios. And you saw last week with the announcement at Pinewood, uh, in fact, she was uh, praised for her work in that. So he actually has an interesting set of people he can pull from issue by issue. But ultimately, he's going to have to work with all members of council and find workable solutions, or he's going to find, as we get to 2022, those more ambitious councillors creating their own power dynamics. What do you think about that? What about working with Doug Ford? Well, I think uh, at the end of the day... um John Tory is someone who has worked with Stephen Harper. He has worked with uh, Justin Trudeau. He's worked with Kathleen Wynne. And I think the same goes um, for, for Doug Ford. Both have an interest in, uh, in, a, in a workable Toronto. And Doug Ford has a vested interest in a 25-member council working. It was his decision. Um, so in, in order, you know, John Tory has a lot of work ahead of him. He's got to build a relief line. He's got to build a, the rail deck park. Um, you know, he's got to get uh, affordable housing. We didn't really talk about issues uh, during the campaign. This was a campaign that was really political, and it was about personalities. But we really never got to the crux of issues. So it'll be an interesting uh, uh, four years for John Tory. One of the things that's actually interesting beyond uh, this has been the province's signal early on in their mandate that they're actually reviewing regional governments. And so that's been kind of lost in the conversations around Bill 5 and Bill 31. But the province looking at what to do with regional governments, are they necessary? Uh, to Aleem's question, is this opening the door for uh, single-tier municipalities and more mega cities across the province? Those are big questions that are uh, to be answered going forward. Well, I know that Bonnie Crombie chafed That's at right. the idea of having to report to a regional chairman. and But then, and I don't know if it's my colleagues in media, but then the whole thing, uh, the cancellation of that election for Peel Regional Chair was portrayed as a personal animus between Patrick Brown and Doug Ford. So which is it? You know, it's a good question, and and I think um, I think Mayor Crombie um, has played this quite well. Um, if you look at her comments on the record, talking about the uh, chair of Peel moving from an elected, uh, which it was supposed to go to, uh, to an appointed uh, position, um, she played this quite well. I mean, at the end of the day, I think she realizes that municipalities really are creatures of the province, and so she has to be very careful in terms of whether she wants to go after the premier on that or risk it and, and just sort of park her, her thoughts and think, hey, is this LRT that I want to build going to get cancelled if I say something around uh, around that? And, you know, I think, I think around um, 
um, uh, Toronto as well. If you look at the plurality of votes last night, Libby, look at the wards in which John Tory won. And I'll tell you something. It's an easy uh, representation. It was all of them. That's right. Yeah. He, he won everything. He won everything. And you know what? The, the, the closest place he got to uh, was Anna Bailao's ward. Um, and uh, Sorry, that Miss Kiesmack got to. Mm. Uh, and it was a few hundred votes. I was talking to the mayor about yeah. this this morning. Uh, but even still, in that ward, that is Anna Bailao. That is a stalwart of the mayor. So he has won across the city. So whether you're Mike Layton or Joe Cressy or Kristen Wong-Tam, you know, great victories for the left last night. I think they realize that this is a mayor that now is governing for the whole city. Unlike four years ago, where he didn't win Ford Nation in Etobicoke, he didn't win Scarborough. And so governing for the whole city is something I think the councillors are going to have to come to the table with and look at and say, hey, how do we move our pro- projects forward in our respective wards while still supporting the, the mandate and, and really the, the uh, raison d'etre of the mayor? Kim, the critique of Jennifer Keysmat, and, and I disagree that there were no ideas. She did make it personal, but she also had what she called they were certainly bold, maybe not popular. So the critique of her was south of Bloor. But she didn't even win south of Bloor. Why not? So there are a number of factors that played into this. And Mayor Tory has done a a good job about bringing people along. I think Ms. Kismet's challenge was that she came in literally at the 11th hour of the campaign. She didn't really have the team put together in in a way that you would normally do in a campaign period. Uh, But her ideas... They were nuanced too much, I think, for the conversation that needed to happen in a very uh, constricted time frame. And they weren't big enough differentials from a policy perspective from where Mayor Tory already uh, was established. One of the things that I was actually quite heartened by last evening from the Mayor Tory's speech was his... I, I haven't seen him this enthusiastic, I think, in years, but his need to get things done, his desire to get things done, and to really move people on big issues. And I think what you're going to see is that was really a bridge to a number of the more activist members of council of, let's get these things done, let's actually stop bickering and stop worrying about this division or that division or Ford Nation or this, and especially between now and the next two years till we get to midterms and really dive into 2022, he really needs to put some big stakes in the ground, get Smart Track really moving beyond some soil samples. He really needs to move on this affordable housing strategy. We need to address the crime rate in this city. There are a number of big issues. And And at the heart of all of his uh, issues is, frankly, the poverty reduction strategy, which he can work with a number of councillors to move on. Do you agree with that? Look, I I think campaigns matter. And, uh, you know, Jennifer Keysmat's campaign was sort of flat from the start. I think she never really articulated a reason for uh, for Torontonians to vote Tory out. Um, I think that she was there to carry the banner of the NDP. They never really got behind her. I, I, I have to. I have to say this, that I I didn't, uh, when she was in, I didn't refer to her as being from the NDP, but I referred to her as being on the left, and she totally chafed at that and challenged me on that, and which was a surprise given everything else. But, uh, I mean, I don't know I what think she the, thinks she is. The progressive but, voters of the, uh, the progressive liberals in this uh, in the city never really trusted her as one of, uh, one of their own. You need to run a campaign beyond a few media events in downtown Toronto and an active Twitter account. It takes right. a lot of work. 
work. Uh, John Tory had 1,500 volunteers, and he ran this campaign like he was behind the whole time. You saw an energized mayor who put together a you know a campaign war room that included liberals and conservatives, and uh, frankly, I was pretty happy to see it. Women in top positions. Uh, this was a really good, diverse team of political pros. Well, you know the the thing about John Tory, even before he became mayor, I mean, he's been to every ethnic barbecue uh, more than three times, and I don't know how you can come in at the last minute and 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 challenge that. You know, like he said uh, this morning, um, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. I mean, this man works incredibly hard to represent the city. But look, nothing taken away from Ms. Kiesmat. I'll say this. I think for the first time she's run for political office, in fact, for anybody. But in this case, for Ms. Kiesmat, the first time, you know, she ended the night with uh, 23.5% of the vote. That is an interesting number because that's exactly what Olivia Chow finished with back in 2014. And you know what? For a first-time candidate... Um, who, quite frankly, did not get north of Bloor. I've used that term on your, your yes, show Yes, that's before. your term. I stole it from that's you. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've, I've, you know, in terms of being SOB, she's being a south of Bloor. She's got to think beyond tearing down the Gardner and bike lanes and get out to the people of Malvern, get out to the people of Rexdale and Mimico. And I think it's a great lesson learned from her. I think it's something she's going to build on for the future. Whether we see her back at City Hall, uh, not in the planner's chair, but in, in the mayor's chair at some point, uh, whether she runs provincially, and I know her name is being pulled uh, for for uh, uh, for uh, provincial office or federally, remains to be seen. This is not the last we've seen of Jennifer Keysmat. Break no future kidding. It, frankly, it should, to, to Liam's point about the numbers of votes that she got and Olivia Chow got, ultimately people are looking for people to run their cities that have a passion for it and can explain why they want to do it. And coming in at the 11th hour over the way that she did, it was very difficult for her to articulate why she wanted to do it. And frankly, because the night before she had made the uh, flippant Twitter comment about secession, that really hampered her campaign every step of the way. That how do you want to wake up in the morning to lead Canada's largest city uh, in a way that is meaningful to people's lives and really not have to make big decisions other than I slept on it. And look, if Twitter got you elected, Norm Kelly would be elected today. <laughs> okay, let's take a call from Ross in Scarborough. Hi, Ross. Yes, hi, Libby. Um, I wanted to move to Brampton. Either I moved to Brampton, leave Scarborough, or let Patrick Brown you know, switch mayors um, and let him come to Toronto and put John Tory in um, in Brampton. Uh, in Toronto, we need um, young blood. In Toronto, too bad we didn't really have any real opposition. Tory, he's a nice guy. You know what? His words are like sugar, right? He'll give you a nice sugar coated candy, but then he's going to put his left hand in your pocket and take your money. So the <laughs> Toronto city will be very expensive. From taxes it's already to very expensive. Traffic, everything else. Okay, Ross. Uh, Aleem wants to talk to you here. You know, Ross yes, brings up a really fascinating point in terms of moving from one city to the other, and uh, you know, because of because of uh, leadership, um, in terms of political leadership. And here we are in this city that we live in now, um, where we have a um, a mayor in John Tory that wanted to be premier. We had a premier <laughs> in Doug Ford that wanted <laughs> to be, be mayor. Now we also have. 
Ross is going to move up to, to Brampton from Scarborough. We also have a mayor, follow the bouncing ball here, mm-hmm. in Brampton that wanted to be premier of Ontario. So, you know, if, if people can move around like this from city to city and our politicians can think about their political preferences differently, I mean, hey, that could work. <laughs> yeah, because um, in, 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 in Toronto, they talk about crime. They talk about um, they, they talk about crime. They also talk about the bike lanes. Um, they also talk about many things. But the thing is, they've been doing this same song and dance for the last ten, fifteen years. And guess what? John Tory zero plan. You understand when it comes to crime or whatever it is, it's not zero anymore. It's going up. So what's the point? Politics is like a crab dance. You are going to get messed up. <laughs> okay, Ross, thanks for that. Okay, I thought it was uh, the floss dance. That, that, that was, you know, I, I was speaking with Mayor Tory this morning. Uh, we've, we've been on the media circuit, and uh, I had a good chuckle about the floss dance. So for those that weren't watching last night, you know, really the, the highlight of the night, I think, uh, one of the highlights is, is uh, 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 William. Uh, this is John Tory's grandson, who did the floss dance. And I know Libby asked me earlier, we started the show to demonstrate that, and I failed miserably. You did. I have two left feet. <laughs> Um, uh, that is true. I'll go on the record in saying that. But but I, I, I'll tell you something. I talked to Mary Tor- Tory about this, and uh, I said, "Hey, are you guys going to show that at William's wedding one day?" And he goes, "You betcha. This is going to be going viral." That kid was incredible. Okay, we have to take a quick break. We will be right back with more from our ACE panel. Before we go to break, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am here with our ACE political panel. And it seemed to me that John Tory may have taken a little bit to heart this criticism of him that he's a ditherer. Yes? No? <laughs> this is a good question. And, you know, I think if you look at the, the time when John Tory was uh, coming into the mayor. Uh, of, of the city exactly four years ago. Um, and you looked at those on uh, the left of the political spectrum that said he's too much uh, of a right centrist conservative politician. And I think by the time he finished his first term, there are those on the right that say he's too left. And I think what, what this means is that we've got a mayor here really that can work with all people, whether they're from the left, whether they're from the right or from the center. This is a guy that knows how to get things done. And I think we're going to see more of that in this term. But that's the critique that he doesn't actually get things done, that he hems and haws. So one of the things that has been, I think, hampered uh, Mayor Tory in his first term a bit was this constant looking over his shoulder about uh, whether Doug was going to run against him, whether he wasn't going to run against him for mayor. And, and that certainly uh, colored a lot of the a lot of the political discourse around council. What I've seen in the last couple of weeks has really been Mayor Tory getting into his own. Get he's gotten that reelect the the final finally he gets a reelection, and that relief that is on uh, was on his face last night and and today has uh, been extraordinary. And I think also four years of doing this job, it is a complicated government. It is a complicated series of personalities. It is a very detailed bureaucracy that 
it is it falls to the mayor to sort through. I think he has find has found his groove, so to speak. And if he is serious, as he said frequently last night about getting things done, this is a council that will, by and large, support him on that. Uh, you know, yes, there will be debates about nuances here and there and priorities here and there. But if he is serious about getting it done, he needs to continue to work with councillors across the across the the across the twenty five, find common ground where he can, and build those coalitions because I think it is possible. People are really are tired of people talking. They they want action on these big items. So I think somebody, one person's ditherer is another person's uh, thoughtfulness. And his perceived weakness of uh, of being thoughtful and deliberative and uh, and sort of trying to work with, uh, with as many people as he can is actually his greatest strength. And, you know, it goes to show you that he won every single ward uh, in this city. He's a mayor for, again, he's a mayor for Etobicoke, he's a mayor for Scarborough, he's a mayor for downtown, and he's a mayor for north york we haven't seen that kind of uh you know that kind of coalition in a really long time in toronto so in it's fact, probably good in fact melissa to, to your point the last time we saw a mayor clean up this city in terms of taking all the words was mel lastman in 2000 it hasn't happened in 18 years and i think um you know to to the point earlier that that, that kim brought up in terms of creating this this sort of big tent is, is something that uh, that he's going to do. You know, I'm surrounded uh, at this table by um, Kim Wright and Melissa Lansman, and uh, just for your listeners' background, and they are lobbyists, as I am as well. Um, we work in the government relations industry, and I really think that the number one role for this mayor is to be a lobbyist as well. He's got to be the chief lobbyist to Queen's Park and to uh, the federal government, uh, Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau, have to have a very close relationship to know what Toronto needs, whether that's issues around affordable housing, transit, mental health, uh, crimes and safety and guns. This is something he's going to have to do and uh, prepare to be a lobbyist, uh, if you will. The mayor of Toronto is elected by the largest amount of voters in of, the country. In the country. And that cannot be taken away from him. That is a mandate from people. This isn't about getting elected in your local ward or local riding and then governing or by your party. This is the largest plurality of anywhere in the country. There comes a gravitas with that uh, that is required and can should be used in a way to move municipalities writ large forward, but also for the needs of Toronto. And let's be honest, Mayor Tory studied at the foot of Bill Davis former Premier Bill Davis, who famously talked about how bland works. And it did work for Bill Davis. It, it allows you to be a bit unassuming, uh, but it also allows you, and, and it is my favorite part of municipalities and municipal governments, it actually allows you to listen and collaborate and find solutions without always having to worry about, do I get the banner for it? Okay, let's take a call from Bruce in Port Credit. Hi, Bruce. Hi, good afternoon. Good show, good show. It doesn't. I wanted to talk about Patrick Brown. It doesn't surprise me that Patrick Brown uh, became the mayor of Brampton. Uh, I went to a, a private uh, a private uh, function for him uh, a, a couple of years ago, and uh, I was one of maybe five uh, Caucasian people there. Everybody else was uh, either Indian or Pakistani or et cetera, et cetera, and they just loved him. I mean, when he came on site, he was like a movie star to them. And Brampton has become there. There's been a cultural change in uh, in Brampton over the last 20, 25 years, and I think that really helped him. But it doesn't also surprise me that 
that that he 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 was married. I mean, I didn't even know, but I think Patrick Brown will do anything to stay in politics, and and if that's get a wife, then, then that, that's what he did. <laughs> I have a prediction here. I say that Patrick Brown, if he keeps his nose clean, he will be the next conservative prime minister of Canada. <laughs> okay, that's quite a bold prediction, Bruce. Years, but he's young enough. I I think Trudeau will, will barely sneak in again. And then I think uh, Patrick Brown, if he does well as mayor of Brampton. Okay, Bruce, uh, uh, Aleem is champing at the bit here. Thanks for your call, Bruce. You know, I, I want to get to Bruce's point, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'll leave aside the political predictions for the future that uh, he brought about Patrick Brown. But the first point he brought up, um, you know, Bruce talked about the uh, kind of the ethnic mix in the room at the event that he went to. And, you know, here's a guy that is now representing a city that is 75% South Asian in Brampton, um, the ninth largest city in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, he's an Anglo-Saxon. He's a white guy. He's a white guy. Thank you. That was politically correct. <laughs> but, you know, listen, he's, he's gone to India, you know, 17 times. He's established a lot of close relationships with that community. And, uh, you know, as Melissa talked about, he, he runs pretty hard. And I think he built on that. He campaigned on that. And uh, that's what brought it home for him last night. Yeah. Uh, Melissa? Yeah, look, he's a good campaigner, and we talked about this. Campaigns matter. Um, So putting together a voter coalition that works for you is exactly what he did. Um, You know, so he found somewhere where he had some good community organizers. There's no question that uh, you can't do this alone. And you sort of get uh, you get different members from different communities sort of helping you out. Uh, And these are the folks that championed Patrick Brown when uh, when he came into office provincially. These are the people that won the leadership for him. So it's uh, you know, it's not surprising that. Uh, Patrick Brown is just going to run for anything. <laughs> but is all that scandal behind him? It, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was the, the sexual misconduct st- scandal. But then remember, uh, right after that, uh, you know, Vic Fideli stood up and said the, the party finances were a mess and worse. Yeah, look, I think amongst conservatives, there's still uh, there's still a lot of sour grapes on uh, on some of the scandals that we learned about. Um, but I think there's also a lot of sympathy um, for the way that he was ousted um, out of the party. This is, you know, this is someone who on one night, uh, you know, on the 10 o'clock news um, was, you know, the, the world was told about uh you know about uh, an incident that happened a number of years ago. You know his staff, uh, his staff left him. The party Deserted wasn't behind. Him. Yeah, um, and for that, I think people, you know, people don't really get that. There's a loyalty in, uh, in in politics that was that was absent there. So again, that sympathy exists. Um, you know, I don't have it, um, and I and my memory's not that short. But I think memories are short in uh, in Canadian politics. So this might be behind him. You think it's all behind him? I think it will behoove Patrick to prove himself as mayor. I think what we saw last night was that the voters in Brampton, and the voters are never wrong, chose to give him the uh, ability to manage the finances and the politics of the city of Brampton and put their role in Peel Region. Uh, Whether, I mean, this is... This is also Brampton. They also had scandals with previous mayors on some, oh, on yes. some checkered things, uh, as Linda Jeffries talked about checkered past last night. But people looked at Patrick on balance and they saw the, the notes coming out of Queen's Park, how he overspent his or he spent his allocation of monies and et cetera. 
It didn't matter. They wanted Patrick. They wanted him to lead Brampton. They also elected a very interesting and a very diverse council uh, that has some really interesting new blood coming coming forward. So we'll see how those dynamics shake out. It is not a it is not a parliamentary system. This is not the leader of Brampton. This is the mayor of Brampton, and he's going to have to learn how to play ball with the with his councillors as well. And, and cities across the country. You know, I had a conversation um, this morning with Mayor Nancy in Calgary, and you know, cities are part of this sort of um, club, if you will, mm-hmm. called the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. They they advocate uh, on issues together. They sit at the same table. And the way it works is is the, the cities sit alphabetically beside each other. And so the mayor of Calgary is part of this big cities uh, group. will sit next to the mayor of Brampton. There you go. And so uh, that's going to be an interesting one to see. You know, Mayor Nenshi out in Calgary mm-hmm. and Mayor um, Patrick Brown now, of course, Mayor-elect Patrick Brown in uh, Brampton. And, and how that manifests from the third largest city, that being Calgary in the country, to the ninth largest city in uh, in uh, Brampton, and uh, we'll see how they play well in the sandbox together. Okay, let's take a call from John in Toronto. Hello, John. Good afternoon, panel. Um, I just wonder if anyone heard a roar yesterday at around eight thirty in Ward Seven. <laughs> You're referring to the defeat of uh, the very controversial Giorgio Mammoliti. That when we found out that Mammoliti was definitely out, there was a roar. Believe me. Believe me, people were very happy. Well, won't we miss time. the entertainment yeah, value? Yeah, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> it's oh, it's about Toronto time. City it's Council. A, no, <laughs> it, he never represented our ward at all. He just opened his mouth uh, whenever he was here 20% of the time, and whenever he did, it had nothing to do with our ward at all. Uh, Finch, uh, yeah, uh, Jane and Finch is worse than it was 10 years ago. Uh, anyway, I don't want to and, go there. And he I made really some, don't want to go uh, there. It's unfortunate. Uh, I'm Italian. Italians, once they have an Italian, they just keep voting for the same person. <laughs> they don't care what he does. Look at Bevy Lachman in, in, in Vaughn. It's the same thing. He'll be mayor for life. It doesn't matter what he does or what he doesn't do. Uh, and that's, that's the unfortunate thing. Anyway, uh, I, I really want to comment on Mayor Tory. Tor- mayor Tory is the best mayor we've had say, since David Crombie. He's bilateral. He's non-political. Although you know, uh, he has that background. But this is what a city needs—a true city needs true democracy. But what confuses me the most, panel, and maybe you can answer that, is why why Mayor Tory Tory is the least paid mayor in all the GTA when he does more work in a day than all the mayors put together do in a week. Okay, John, I'm going to let them respond. So the city of Toronto made a decision about uh, a little over eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, that they would never be the highest paid municipality and municipal leaders in the country. They were always going to be about 80th percentile. Uh, So that's why you have that. It, It was a decision made by council. Uh, the councillors uh, set the new rates for what they will be paid before going into the election that so people know what they're voting for and, and, and those things. But they made a very conscious decision that they will never be the highest paid uh, leaders and councillors in, in the country. And they also have, this is also different than some municipalities, they don't get paid for the committees and commissions they sit on. There's no stipends for that. Uh, so it's an, all-in, uh, it's an all-in salary for them on that. Uh, so that's, that's the reason why he's not uh, he's not well paid uh, or as well paid as other mayors are I think he's okay he's he's doing, he's <laughs> it, doing all right it really but it also boils down to and this was part of the discussion at council during the time this isn't about people who 
John Tory has a man of of, of means. There's yeah. no question about that. I, I agree. Uh, but there are people who run for the who run for this office, either councillor or or mayor, who can't afford to uh, take the sort of pay cuts or 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 take the pay structure that others can because of their their personal means. I mean, we've seen this in the in the provincial legislature. Vic Fideli uh, doesn't take a salary, uh, but. You know, at, at the I, end of the day, I you agree. Also you don't, don't want wanna, to uh, you limit you that wanna, to rich people. But right. as a taxpayer, I don't really want to pay high salaries either. Right. But do you want to just limit this to rich people? No, absolutely you don't. But you, if you're going to seek public office, it's because you want to be a part of the change. Right. Um, and it shouldn't be motivated by money. And again, as a taxpayer in Toronto, as a taxpayer in Ontario, uh, I can find you a hundred ways to Sunday on how my tax dollars are, are wasted. And I think that, you know, pensions and, uh, and salaries is one of them. We, um, we have to take a quick break, but we will be right back with more of this fascinating conversation. Before we go to break, the number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Okay, we are back. And Aleem, you wanted to respond to our last caller who was talking about Giorgio Mamaliti. Yeah, and uh, and he also talked about uh, Mayor John Tory. And I know we've got uh, Mayor John Tory coming up. You know, uh, it was an interesting point he brought up about uh, Giorgio Mamaliti because I, I found from his speech yesterday, um, you know, when he lost, he he said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. And he's, he was making apologies to everyone on council, which is very unusual. Um, and I found that really interesting. But the really interesting thing is this. John Tory, I think, is going to be the happiest person in the world today. <laughs> Not because he won. Of course, he's happy. But the seat next to him at council, and the way things work is if you've got a seat, you got it till you, you get defeated. And that seat to the right of Mayor John Tory belongs to Giorgio Mammoliti. And of course, now with Mammoliti out of office, I think uh, one John Tory can uh, rest easy knowing he's going to have somebody uh, that uh, he gets along with, quite frankly, sitting beside him, not just in that seat, but I think in the majority of the chamber as well. Okay, John, John Tory is on the line with us now. Mayor Tory, congratulations. Oh, thank you, Libby. Okay, well, uh, here we go. We have our panel with us, and Aleem saying the thing that will make you happiest is not sitting next to Giorgio Mamaliti anymore. You know, it's kind of interesting because Giorgio Mamaliti is capable of, of being thoughtful about issues, including housing. He wrote an excellent report seven or eight years ago, and but a lot of the show business stuff, as I call it, which is unnecessary, was stuff where I sometimes would even leave my seat when he was doing it because I was otherwise I was seen on television with him. Um, look, I, I never relish in anybody being defeated in politics. I'm not put together that way, but that's what happened with this election where we had. You know, incumbents running against incumbents, and somebody had to lose, and so he's lost. But he did give uh, decades of his life to public service, and as did a number of others who lost. And so on they go, and on we all go. And as somebody was just saying there a moment ago, I, I don't know who, I couldn't tell who was speaking, but, you know, there'll be a new draw done of some kind to determine who my new seatmate is, and I'm just glad I have my seat, that's all. <laughs> okay, that's, that's good. Now, you've had a chance to look at who all has been elected, so... Is it going to be uh, easier or more difficult to get your agenda through? And uh, what do you think now of the 25-seat council? 
Well, my opinion on the 25-seat council hasn't changed from when I was with you last week, which is to say, look, uh, you know, it's done. Uh, I didn't like the way it was done uh, at all. And uh, But, you know, I'm not going to sort of start analyzing whether it was good, bad, or indifferent. It is what it is. Uh, in terms of the people who are elected, which is actually in a way more important than this number of seats, yeah. um, I think we elected, uh, the, we the people elected a pretty good council last night. I certainly, with the vast majority of them, believe that I can, uh, you know, work with them and that they want to work with me because it's a two-way street. I'll work with them all. But I think they want to work with me. And I think many of them are going to be respectful of the fact that uh, I received a very broad mandate across the city last night in every yes. ward, without exception. 25 wards, I, 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 you know, I, I won by one degree or another. And so I, I think that they will understand that that means, because I'm the only person elected citywide, that some of the things I talked about, the transit plan, affordable housing, taxes, are things where the people have said yes. And, and now, uh, you know, I think there's an obligation, certainly on my part, to push those things forward and, uh, you know, and, and, and try and get them implemented as quickly as possible. Is there anything that you think you can do better than in the first term? And, uh, you know, it seemed to me that you might have been taking some of the criticisms of yourself uh, a little bit to heart, like you've been called a ditherer, that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. I mean, I, why that emerged, those kinds of words, is uh, to me a great mystery. And I think had that stuff not happened, uh, the campaigns of those saying those things might have gone better. But anyway, that's not for me to judge. I will just say this to you. The message came through to me loud and clear. I already knew that something like affordable rental housing was a significant issue in a successful city. It's a byproduct of our success that, you know, d- demand for apartments and the rent of apartments has been going up. But that doesn't mean you don't have to then deal with it. And so I sort of feel a greater sense of urgency uh, now than, uh, than before, and before I felt a sense of urgency about it. Uh, same with transit. I mean, again, I will be uh, talking about some things in the coming days that, that indicate that we're going to do every single thing we possibly can to speed up. Uh, the transit plan implementation, even though I would tell you with a totally straight face and with great certainty, more, for example, has been done on a project like the relief line under my leadership than ever before by any preceding mayor. But I want to do even more than that to get those projects moving quickly. So, yeah, I mean, it's not so much I took any messages to heart as that I realized that the city, for it to be successful, has to, um, you know, sort of put put the pedal to the metal, as it were, to make absolutely sure we're doing everything we can on these issues. Anything that you see as a crisis? Well, I've only, I've used the crisis only one, the word crisis only once, and I continue to use it, and I will on mental health. Uh, I think mental health and addiction um, is something that has overtaken us in many areas of life: homelessness, uh, you know, policing, uh, public health generally. And I just think we we collectively, and it's mostly the responsibility, frankly, of the other governments. It's part of the healthcare system. We're not dealing with it, and so I intend to make myself a bigger nuisance than I have been already, and I convened a national conference on this of big city mayors. Um, I've been quite an outspoken advocate, but you ain't seen nothing yet because I believe very strongly that we must deal with this. It is taking a terrible human toll on people, but it is also costing us a lot of money that is not providing good results. I mean, we're spending huge amounts of money um, dealing with people who are, say, in the shelter system where they're not getting proper care and where they're not really addressing the real issue, which is a mental health issue. And so you're going to hear me more on that subject among a number of others, but that's something that I think is a crisis in our city right now. What is the toughest thing that you're facing in the near term, say, in the next couple of weeks, month? 
Well, I think the, the homelessness issue is, is tough because it, it isn't a simple you know, matter of people who sort of are being forced to or choose to live on the streets. It's a very complicated issue that involves a huge amount of mental health. Uh, it involves uh, the refugees who uh, you know, have, have, uh, are, are waiting to have their claims processed. And, so they're, you know, and, it, and the fault there lies with a system that was supposed to have their hearings in 60 days and, in fact, is taking two years. And so I think that's a complicated issue that you have to try and stay ahead of. But really, there are root causes of a lot of the people that we refer to as homeless that, that have nothing to do, per se, with, with, uh, you know, with that issue and have more to do with another issue that causes them mental health or uh, the refugee uh, situation. So I think that's a very sort of uh, an issue that causes a lot of consternation and is a very difficult, complicated issue. But again, uh, we're, we're going to put the resources forward and have the ingenuity and the cooperation with other governments necessary to address that because that's what we're here to do. Uh, you know, and I mentioned this last week, and we will bring it up in depth again, but here in Liberty Village, there is a temporary homeless shelter going up with, with zero consultation. I mean, it was a fait accompli. And a lot of people here are upset about the way that was done. Yeah, I think... What I said to you when we talked about this earlier, I think a lot of people also understand, however, that uh, they would not accept as Torontonians the notion we should just say to people, well, it's middle, it's mid-February and it's minus 25 and you should just, you know, good luck, you can sleep on the street. And number two, I think they also understand that when it comes to caring for the homeless, this is a citywide responsibility. And, you know, everybody would sort of say that, you know, we don't think this particular place is the best place. And I would just say that the city staff do their very best uh, to make sure that we uh, take that obligation across the city and that everybody does their part and that, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we follow through on our values, which would say we're just not going to let somebody be on the street and potentially suffer, uh, you know, life-ending consequences. That, that uh, sounds from. like a tough luck, no discussion on, on where this thing is going. No, the, the, you know, you, you talked about next to no consultation, but the fact is there was a public meeting. No, 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 um, but the, nobody, it wasn't a consultation about whether it was going to happen. The public meeting dealt only with this is how it's happening. And I can just tell you that when we have public meetings that sort of say, well, what do you think we should do about this? You know, or what, or what do you think of the idea? Many times people show up and say no. And so the city and the city okay. officials, the staff that work for us, not the, not the elected politicians, they're left with a situation where, you know, everybody says, well, yeah, we think we really should care for those people, but just not in our neighborhood. Right. And, and I'm just telling you that that is something that uh, people in public life, politicians and public servants have to deal with because we don't have the option of just saying we're not going to do it anywhere in the city because everybody says no. We have to find the best places that we can, we collectively, and uh, look after those who are, through no fault of their own, very vulnerable. You have uh, opened the door to a third term. I know you're just starting the second one. Uh, Why is that? Well, I made the same point you did, which is I haven't even started the second one, so I'm really not into any deep discussions about a third. But I simply have said this, that if people are obstructing the transit plan or coming up with one of these harebrained schemes like we had a number of years ago where somebody actually took one of the subway tunnels that was built and filled it in, if there's some threat of that kind of thing going on, you're darn right. I, I am so determined to make sure this city gets what it needs in terms of transit and affordable housing that if there are people that are showing signs of obstructing that, uh, that I you know, could be convinced to see my work 
through. But uh, the plan is still two terms, but I'm, I'm certainly not ruling out, depending on how people, um, you know, sort of move forward to get things done, uh, the notion that uh, it may take um, uh, some additional time on my part uh, to help uh, lead this council to the place where the city needs to go. Well, the, the point has also been made that uh, it will be easier for you to get the support of councillors if you're running again, as opposed to if you're not. Yeah, I, I, I would I wouldn't sort of place too much stock in that. I tend to think that most of the councillors, as I say, uh, are people who I think understand the mandate that I've received from the people, and I think they believe they've received a similar mandate, which is to get things done, get the transit plan built, you know, stop the endless debates and redecisions and reconsultations and all that, uh, you know, ramp up affordable housing, but do it in a way that's responsible and, and realistic. And so I don't think the disconnect or your perceived disconnect between any one group and another is as big as often is presented. Um, and I think that uh, we'll, we'll get a lot done because I think everybody's going to be determined to do so, um, or they'll incur the wrath of the voters. And uh, how long do you think these council meetings will run now <laughs> with the shorter well, council? I the wish I could tell you that I thought they were going to be shorter because straight math would say that 25 people speaking and answering questions for five minutes each, which is what you're allowed to do, should take a lot shorter than 44 people doing the same thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I hope that's true because I think there's a lot more productivity we could, uh, you know, squeeze out of this place if people wanted to uh, behave that way. And I'm, I'm optimistic we can. We've got so much to do now. There's 25 people doing the work that 44 people used to do. And so I just hope people sort of, uh, you know, just use common sense to say, well, um, there are better things we could be doing than sitting in the council chamber, having people basically repeat what uh, they've said before and what somebody else said right before them. So we'll see. Uh, Final question. Uh, Uh, The premier says that this is going to save money. A lot of other people say uh, we'll need bigger budgets for more people to do the work. Where are you on that? Well, if you think about it this way, Libby, um, if you had 44 councillors and they all had, I forget exactly what number, but let's say they had five staff people each, then uh, you won't certainly need more money because in the end, if you simply said, well, let's take the staff members that, that were working for 44 councillors and apply them to 25, um, there's going to be no more money needed. Um, I think that, uh, you know... But it won't save 25 million bucks. Well, I mean, the savings of 25 million was spread across, I think, a number of areas. I think it was, frankly, a number largely drawn out of a hat. But having said that, I think there's, uh, look, if you want to ask me if we can run this government better from a number of perspectives, forgetting about the council, yes, we can. And that's another thing I'm going to be very focused on, as I have been from the beginning, changing processes. I think there's a much bigger opportunity to save money on some of the stuff I've talked about in terms of saying that every transaction should be able to be done online. Citizens shouldn't have to go and show up in front of people at wickets with clipboards and pens from the 1940s um, to do their business with the city. You shouldn't have to go to the East York Civic Center to get any business You should be able to do it online. You can do it at 3 o'clock in the morning by yourself, and quite frankly, that just means the government can be run more efficiently, more customer-friendly, and less expensive, and that's exactly what I had in my platform and what I intend to do in in addition to the other things we've been talking about. Okay, Mayor Tory, thank you so much for being with us. Congratulations. Thanks very much. We'll talk soon. Okay, we'll talk soon. And that's all the time we have for Fight Back for today. And thank you so much to Aleem Kanji, Melissa Lansman, and Kim Wright. It was uh, lots of fun, a fun hour. Thanks again. Thanks for having us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.